first thing is, you can never start this process too early. I mean, literally. I mean, here my dad is 55 years old and he's already thinking about this kind of stuff. So the sooner you start passing things along year by year, the better you are off. And, and, and that's what my dad realized at, at, a, at a young age in, in his career. I, I give him all the props in the world to recognize that. I've, I've, we've got a lot of companies in our industry that obviously have been passing from generation to generation, and, and they fall five, six years behind every time when they start late in this process. If the sound of a machine tool removing metal gets your blood pumping, then you are Metal Working Nation. This is Making Chips, where we talk all things metalworking, engineering and design, production and tooling combined with business best practices, technology, marketing, news, and new media for manufacturing professionals. Here are your hosts, business owners, metalworking experts, and guys who get dirty on the factory floor, Jim Carr and Jason Zanger. Now, let's make some chips. Hey, welcome everybody. This is episode 12 of Making Chips. I think we've got a great episode coming up. I'm looking forward to interviewing a really good friend of mine from a trade association. We're going to be talking business succession today. Here in the studio right now, I've got uh, my good friend Jason, my co-host of Making Chips. And uh, Jason, why don't you tell our listeners what what, what is Making Chips? What, what is this podcast that we're doing? Why are we investing all this time in, in doing what we're doing? Yeah, so Making Chips is intended to equip manufacturing leaders with valuable content to use in their business. So as an example, today we've got Aaron Weigel in the studio, and he's going to talk to us about successful family business succession. That's kind of a um, tongue twister there. Yeah, but, it is. Um, I, was, I was noticing you were having a difficult time getting that I, out. I said it slowly. So... <laughs> Yeah, so Aaron um, is is somebody that both Jim and I have talked to repeatedly about how him and his family has man have managed their business succession, and you know we've taken a lot of notes, but we think it's going to be beneficial to record for our audience how Aaron has managed Aaron and his family um, have managed their succession because I don't know for you, Jim, but I know for my family business, we we definitely need to move forward with um, planning our business succession. Absolutely. It's it's a big thing. It's it's very emotional. It's compelling at the same time. And it, at the end of the day, it's it's a personal thing that all of us family-owned and operated businesses have to experience sometime in life. I, I'm, I've heard Aaron's story before. I thought it was very compelling. And I think our listeners will get some value out of hearing his story and what his family has done to keep the legacy going. It's really a great story. But, yeah. I but mean, before we get into that, we want to talk a little bit about manufacturing news. Yeah. So why don't you get us going with manufacturing news? Yeah. So I got to tell you, I was, uh, you know, how I typically search for my manufacturing news on, on Google News manufacturing. Like we so, talked about in episode one. Yeah. And we, I, I talk about it. I talk down, about it all the time. Everybody right? should download Everyone, our past episodes too. Absolutely. There's a lot of valuable content there. There is. So anyway, I, you know, I, I go to uh, Google Manufacturing News because I, I need some relevant information for the, for the industry so I can tweet. And this contributing editor to Forbes magazine, his name is Tim Warstall, throws up this article on how slow U.S. manufacturing growth really doesn't matter very much. And I'm like, you know, of course that caught my attention. And I, I did, in fact, retweet it. But this dude's talking about how he doesn't think that 
U.S. manufacturing is relevant anymore, that it only accounts for 13% of the GDP, and we're more of a service-oriented country and how uh, our competitors in Germany, you know, are are making more relevant issues with regards to manufacturing and, and the importance of it. So I, I don't know. I was. What do you think about that? Well, I mean, what, how, how do you feel about that statement? First of all, one of the things that I just you know really makes my skin crawl is when a newspaper editor like that would allow something to be published to you know out there. That I mean, it's just it's just terrible. I mean, the manufacturing industry contributes tremendously, even if we're only thirteen percent of the GDP of the country. The manufacturing industry contributes so much other ancillary services outside of just the pure production that we do. And, you know, one of the reasons that we suffered so badly during the recession is because we outsourced so much of our manufacturing. And, you know, to see somebody publish a news story like that when they just really don't have the facts and don't understand the contributions that the manufacturing industry makes is just it's just I don't know. It irritates me. Right. Well, every, everyone has their own values, their own ideas, and you know, everyone has the right to write and say what they want. Anybody can write something, whether it's true or not. <laughs> I know. I, I, you know. I respect him for writing this article. I don't understand it, and uh, I, I'd like to get some feedback from him. So um, maybe someday uh, we can uh, have him call in and uh, be a guest on uh, Making Chips. Yeah, what, what he's going to realize is that you know, once the manufacturing GDP goes down is that there's going to be you know, less need for the accounting services, the lawyer services, you the marketing, all that kind of stuff. Because you know, by far, manufacturing industry contribute, you know, they multiply the dollars of GDP far more than um, any other industry. Absolutely. Great. So why don't you go ahead and welcome our, our VIP guest. Um, welcome, Aaron. Thank you. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, we're glad to have you. So, um, yeah, as Jim mentioned, Aaron is um, a good friend of both of us. Um, and I've known Aaron for, for many, many years, probably over 10 years. Aaron's company, Weagle Toolworks, he's the third generation president of that company. They're located in Wooddale, Illinois, which is a suburb of the Chicagoland area. Aaron is by education a manufacturing engineer from Northern Illinois University. And in addition to that, he's also on the board of directors of the Technology and Manufacturing Association. He's a board member for the Schomburg Bank and Trust, which is part of the Wind Trust Bank Group. And Aaron's company, um, Weagle Toolworks, they employ 130 people. They're an ISO TS16949 certified company. And their major industries that they, they supply to is, is the automotive industry as a second-tier automotive supplier, the electrical, the appliance, and the military industries. Weagle Toolworks was started in 1941 by Aaron's grandfather and his father, Marty, took over the presidency in 1968, and Aaron took over in 2010. So that's, and you're quite a young guy to, to have the title of president. Compared to uh, my my uh, my father, my grandfather, uh, yeah, I started a lot earlier. But uh, with my education and background, starting early in the company, that's what what spearheaded it to uh, a quick uh, presidency. Hello, metalworking nation. Go to makingchips.com/msurvey to take a survey about marketing in the manufacturing industry. Once again, that's makingchips.com/msurvey. So Aaron, Aaron is here with us. Uh, thanks again for being here, man. I, I really appreciate it. I know it took a little bit of 
extra effort to get to our recording studio today, and we certainly appreciate uh, that. Hopefully, uh, we can give you a little bit of feedback someday. Yeah, it's about negative 10 degrees out here in Chicago, and the wind is blowing, and I don't know, there's a couple inches on, of snow on the ground. Yeah, it's January, what can we say? You anyway, do what you got to do. Absolutely. Aaron, again, welcome. Um, can, can you just give us like a little synopsis and describe what uh, Weagle Toolworks does? Sure. Uh, we were founded back in 1941, like Jason said, the day before Pearl Harbor was born. Actually, my grandfather started with the vision of uh, opening up a tool and die shop and, and designing dies ourselves. So that's what we were founded on. Uh, we, we built and designed tools for the past five, six decades. We still continue to do that today. However, my dad uh, in the 1980s made the decision to get into the stamping industry. He, he figured we're building all his tools for the outside. Uh, why not take it to the next level and, and expand the business and get into stamping? So all throughout the 80s and 90s and the 2000s, that's, uh, we've, we've had all three of those aspects. We're at the point now today where we're, we're at, a, at, at a size where we now are just strictly uh, metal stamping. However, uh, we maintain the design and building aspect of the company for our own internal use. Uh, very seldom do I sell on the outside because of uh, the type of technology that we design and learned over the vast uh, decades and generations that uh, we, we keep it all in-house. And you, you guys aren't just you know the average stamping company either. I've been in your plant, and you guys have very large and impressive stamping machines well there's no doubt that we're world-class I mean and I'm not just saying that just as the owner I, I travel all around the country and and I belong to a number of associations that uh, you know I I do see the best of the best and 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 I we categorize ourselves right up there with them obviously uh, we, there's always room for improvement otherwise if if there wasn't uh, I should step down immediately because there's always continuous improvement involved in our company yeah we 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 show well we do well our quality is our number one priority customer satisfaction is obviously for any type of business but if you don't have the quality and the on-time delivery in this industry you're going to fall real fast and we were able to maintain that i could not agree with you more and in, in my business it's the same thing although you know we're significantly smaller but at the end of the day the underlying fundamental values about good good businesses good customer relations and it all adds up to to what's going on there's no doubt yeah Aaron, when did you, when did your dad realize he needed to to develop some kind of succession plan? Because you know, as a middle aged man who has children in the business too, I can I kind of think like, my God, when 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 am I going to start thinking about that? You know, it, it was painful for me as a young man growing up in my small manufacturing company to extract that information from my dad to get him to realize we've got to do something, and you know, we got to get it written, we got to have it done correctly. So, when did your dad realize think he needed to get something? written on paper to get this family legacy over to to a new generation to move what? the family legacy to the next generation yeah february of 1992 it was, so you know the month very it was good. february of 1992 and what why is that significant why do you remember that why is it so resounding in your head you were you were couldn't even been in high school right or no you're probably just in high school right <laughs> i believe in freshman or eighth grade actually yeah yeah, yeah. right around that time okay I was a senior in high school at that time. <laughs> <laughs> why that day? Yeah, why why that day? And and you know wh- why what do you remember what your dad said or do you, I mean what was what was his objective and and why start so early? Oh my god, the kids are young. You know, th- you didn't care at that age if you were going to be the president of a manufacturing company. 
what, what was his objective to, to, to all that? Well, let, let, let's just start from the beginning here. I mean, first off, I have to say that my dad, number one, is, is uh, very open-minded and a very generous man. So you have to have the mindset already that, that you know, what he's creating, that he's, he was proud to, to pass that on if, if, if we were qualified to do that. Number two, you know, just, just to tell you where we're at today as far as a business, since I took over, we've almost tripled in size. And, and that's, you know, part of it is because of my leadership, but most of it is because of the, of the decades of planning that led up to it that gave me the, the, the resources and the finances to be able to, to make the moves necessary to get to that point. And that's what my dad uh, did not have as he ran the business. He did, he did not have those attributes? Is that what you're saying? He had the attributes, but he didn't have the resources okay. because he was handcuffed. That's basically what I like. The I'll fiscal think. resources or the, the technological resources? He was being micromanaged by uh, my grandmother, his mother at the time, from Florida. Okay, interesting. So your dad really changed his perspective on succession planning because of the experience that he went through. Absolutely. He, he, told, he told us that he never wanted to do to us what, what uh, his mother did to him. Which micromanage. Micromanage. Yeah, that's interesting because, um, you know, my, my dad had the opposite experience and he, you know, he said he wants to do for us as was done for him. So, you know, you and I fortunately are in the same position because of that. Yeah, so let's just go back in time a little bit. 1968, there's the reason why he took over as presidency is because uh, he's an only child, and uh, he was serving his third term in Vietnam. He was, on the, uh, he was second command of the USS uh, Princeton. My grandfather had a stroke, and it, it happened real quick. And since uh, he was an only child at the time, the, the, uh, the Navy honorably uh, discharged him immediately, and he said he was uh, on a plane back to Chicago within hours. No kidding, really. So you know, interesting. Yeah, and and coming back to Chicago, he immediately had to take over the business. He did have the background. I mean, uh, he he left. Uh, he graduated high school and went straight to Purdue University and got his industrial engineering degree. He, it was about two days before he was graduating. He was actually walking through the union in, at Purdue University, and he actually walked by the Navy board. There was a little booth on the side, and they were asking for him if he wanted to be recruiting. He says, "Absolutely not. I do not want to do that." But then when he was sitting down studying for his last final, he was thinking about the draft. And so that's when he decided he went at, at the bar that he was studying at, believe it or not. He, he called his draft board and I said, when am I getting drafted if I'm getting drafted? He said, Marty, you're getting drafted the day you graduate. So he immediately went back to uh, that booth and signed up with the Navy. He'd rather, he said, I wanted to be on a ship than, than on land. So um, after he served uh, in, in Vietnam, he got back and took over the business. He said, uh, you know, I had my engineering degree and had a lot of experience with the Navy and with the leadership role. And at the same time, I was worthless. You know, the, the, the things that I learned, I, I did not know the tool and die trade per se. And so I left the immediate management team in charge of the company at that time. And he didn't take over as president until, I mean, he was by title president, but didn't take over the official duties to 1984. Now, when my grandfather died... My grandmother packed up her bags, and she was gone to Florida within a month. So your grandmother had absolutely no interest in continuing that legacy. She just said, Marty, you're, you're taking over. I, I, I'm not interested in, in managing it. Or She never did manage it. She never was a part of it. It was just my grandfather. Yeah. However, she was the, the money and the, and, the, and the management side of things. She thing. held the she, shares. She did. And she you got to keep shares. in mind about, the, about when they grew up. I mean, you, the, yeah, these, I my know. grandparents very lived guarded. through the... Um, the Great Depression era. So they were very frugal and very tight on their money. My dad took over and was in charge of the company, but that was always a struggle for him because he was very held back in, in, in making moves and, and doing big things 
because uh, statements were being flown down to Florida every month and being micromanaged. And, and um, basically, my dad couldn't make any big moves, buy any big presses, or, or do anything significant without the approval of my grandmother, which she denied everything because she just thought cash was king. And that is true to a certain extent, but not to the point where it chokes your company. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's really what uh, he, he learned a lot of hard lessons, and he, knew, he lost a lot of good opportunities of, of growth because of the micromanagement of my, of my grandmother back in, uh, in Florida. Now, she passed in 1992. She oh, passed so that, in 19. That opened up the door for him to think. Exactly. Hey, I'm I'm not going to let this pain that he experienced being micromanaged, and he he decided, you know, I've got to I need to do something with my own children and continue this legacy in a in a manner that is healthy and can be grown upon. Exactly. But what he learned during that was the significant uh, tax implications that happened at her death. You have to understand, like in, in our business, you know, similar to the farming industry, we're very rich in assets because we have all our, our, our money tied up in equipment and building just like the farmers have it in their land and their tractors mm-hmm. and, and not the cash. Yet Uncle Sam comes knocking down your door nine months later and is looking for, they at that cash. time, they want cash and they want a big portion of it. They don't take I, credit cards. And I think it was around 55% at that point in time. So he had to come up with, with uh, 55% of, of her net worth at the time. And in nine months to pull up that kind of cash was, uh, was tough. Obviously, he had to finance it. So what was left over, he was going to take, but that's when he thought to himself, well, I'm, I'm, I'm going to be fine. I'm, I'm, I'm not going to change my lifestyle. So we got with a financial advisor, and, and instead of him taking it, what we did was call the skip generation. So as a, a 13-year-old, we inherited all of our grandmother's money not even knowing it, just because of the tax implications that happened. Right. And we set up a trust fund from that, and that's how we were able to make the business explode and make the investments necessary through the trust fund. And so what you're saying that. is it deferred the tax implic- implications? You got it. Okay. You got it. So your dad didn't have that burden. He pushed the burden off on, on the three siblings. Well, we had to still come up with the cash. Right. And, and but, it, it would, Okay. But, but, not, you know, not but keep much. in mind, too, in 1992, my dad right at that point is 55 years old. So what were we going to do, go through this again in, in, in 15, 20 years, possibly? I mean, so that's the way he was looking at it is that he just did a skip generation because he, the fact is that he, he was living fine and, and there was no sense to keep themselves and then go through and pay Uncle Sam again in 20, 30 years. So your dad never took over ownership of the business. It actually went into a trust owned by you and... Erica and he let, was, me def- let me define that a little bit more right. to make it more in layman's terms. So the, the, the shares of the business that belonged to your grandmother upon your grandfather's debt did not transfer 100 or when your grandmother died, those shares at 100% of the shares that your grandmother owned, I assume, did not get transferred 100 percent. My your- father was a, was a 100% shareholder, but all the, the cash and assets behind it, and the, but mostly the cash and the stocks and bonds that we used. That's what we used to start to start the trust fund, which then we started buying equipment where the company is now leasing all the equipment through that that uh, that LLC. And since then, the LLC now has expanded, and we have now about nine or ten different entities doing different multiple things, just to try to uh, spread the liability as well. Good. So obviously, w- with all this comprehensive planning, you had an external person that was was intimately involved with with your relationship and 
they worked with you a lot during There's no time. doubt. You no have doubt. to have a very sophisticated financial advisor to to put all the pieces together. Is it I mean, a CPA? Is it a financial advisor? Did you work with that person long term? Did you, was it, was that the same person that you utilized over the the entire process from start to end? Yes. Okay. He's a he's it's through the same tax or same uh, accounting firm that we use today and he's a CPA and uh, we've been working with him since then and it's just been um it's been wonderful to work with. I mean, he's they know things that we don't know. We know how to make chips, Absolutely. right? And I guess to use those terms, um, you know, we're engineered by trade and, yep. and, and, and manufacturing. And to get to those level of details, uh, you know, we just did not have that experience. And we have to hire the people that, that know what to do in that sense. So you're saying in February 1992, your dad made this decision to make this this succession plan happen. When when was the end? When When did all those shares and when did ownership of you came in 2010 is that correct 2010 so that was 18 years correct so it was an 18 year succession plan it was and the reason why everything wasn't dumped to us at the time was my dad made the decision just to get as much as he can off the books into our name however he's assuming that down the road that all three of us or one or three of us would be interested in the business that wasn't a for sure thing and right. me being the how, oldest how, of, how could you know when well, you were a you, freshman you can't. in high school, right? You can't, but you have to plan accordingly. Right. Interesting. So again, so this 18-year process, what were some of the obstacles that Marty Weagle faced, faced what, during that time? Some significant roadblocks that he had during that 18-year process. I mean, there had to have been something, whether it was financial, recessionary times, the, the kids not knowing what they wanted to do, you know, maybe, maybe, maybe one of you three had a couple hiccups along the way. Sure. And he said to himself, because I know as a parent of uh, young adults, holy God, you never know what's going to happen. You know, d- did I make the right decision in, in, in appointing them to do what they need to do? So, yeah, please, well, you can, you can never plan the business assuming that, that big things like that down the line are going to happen. All, you just run the business where you get, you, you have to, and, you know, if if the hopeful the chips fall where they do, and and uh, if not, you make uh, the adjustments accordingly. I mean, obviously through through those times, we've had some serious uh, recessions. I remember two thousand one when nine eleven hit. That was a, a tough time, especially uh, you know just overall in general. Um, the automotive industry was hit pretty hard at that point in time. Obviously, everybody knows about the two thousand eight two thousand nine era, especially in automotive as well. So we we had some really really tough roadblocks during that time. But we, we weathered the storm, and my dad was never extremely aggressive in, in the growth of the business. We've always maintained a, a, a significant amount of cash in case there was any turndown, which we've, we've gone through quite a few of them in the last you know, 10, 15 years. But that's how we were able to weather the storm. So that, that, was how, that was the old school way to run a business back then. And, I, and, I, yeah. and he's, he's instilled that in us. I mean, uh, even though we're, we're growing, and I I'm, and I'm definitely would label myself as more aggressive than my dad, they're still, uh, you know. Do you think that's generational? Do you think that's a, the, the culture? It's definitely culture. Okay. There's no doubt. Okay. I mean, that's just the way we were raised, and and I think it's a good business practice. I think that if you get too aggressive, you could definitely hit it big, but you can be on the street as well. Yeah. The one the one thing that I love about your story is that, you know, your dad's objective was to pass along the legacy of the business from one generation to another. And, you know, his, I think his goal, I believe from talking to you, his goal through this process is to, you know, mitigate as much taxes, you know, as much money going to Uncle Sam, as opposed to going to you and your siblings as possible. One of the things that I found from talking with, you know, lawyers and accountants is that 
they always have this attitude that you can't trust your kids. And I don't, I think that's such a, such a wrong attitude to have because I think your family is very similar to mine in that my dad wants to see the, the family business go on. And we, as siblings, my sister and I, want to be able to take care of our parents as they get older. I mean, it, that sounds very similar to how, how your family operates. Very similar. I mean, just to touch on your point, number one, uh, you know, the, the generation uh, uh, transfers and stuff and the tax implications, they can be t- they can be uh, business killers. Oh, they could kill your business, and, absolutely. And, and that's what, you know, he, our family is very proud with what we built. We've got a very strong name in, in the industry worldwide. I mean, we're, we're a worldwide supplier. And uh, he's very proud of with what he's taken on, what he's built over to his time at Weagle. And he's even more proud to see that uh, not only one, two, but three of his kids, all three of us, have taken on the business. We're very, very active, very just, we, we live and die of the business. That's where we're at. And, and he, you know, he was just thrilled to see one of us, let alone all three. So, you know, every time he talks about it, I just see tears in his eyes. Gotta, he just yeah, loves it. That's fabulous. I mean, it, it, it certainly is a compelling story. And I, I just wanted to say that. But Thank you. Yeah. It's our passion. It is. It's, it's awesome. Yeah, there's nothing more more prideful than for, you know, a step above, you know, being proud of what you do is to be proud of what your kids do. And, you know, I've talked to your dad before and I can definitely, you know, see in his eyes the same thing that, I, you know, that I see in my dad. And, you know, it, it's great. It's awesome. And, you know, it just brings it's so refreshing for the family business industry to see that. Well, we're a great story and, and, and he loves it. I mean, he's 72 today, and he still comes into work every day. And Your dad's 72? 72 years old. Today? It. Uh, December 15th, so he just turned 72. Nice. Oh, happy birthday, yeah. Marty. I mean, yeah, he comes Marty. in the office every day. I mean, he, he, just, he just loves to see uh, the growth. So we, we never really touched, you know, I, I just, I think it's good to share the, the good things and the bad things about what we've gone through, and that's, that's what the whole objective is with making ships is, you know, what we want to do is we want to enable, equip, other manufacturers out there in the world that are going through similar situations and just share our experiences so it can mitigate and make it less of a burden on them when they have to go through the same thing. So are there any obstacles that you can think that stand out in your mind that you can remember going through this process or maybe your dad shared with you that was painful and could could have been mitigated better are you saying any mistakes that they may have made? Yeah, that maybe a mistake, you know, maybe one area that he misstepped that uh, you remember that you think, or, I mean, it couldn't have been 100%. I got to be honest. I, I, I really can't think of any. I just know that there are many things that can go wrong that we see a lot of uh, family owners come to us for advice on how to do it because they see us as a, as a, a model of how to do it. You know, the, the first thing is you can never start this process too early. I mean, literally. I mean, here my dad is 55 years old and he's already thinking about this kind of stuff. So the, the, the sooner you start, the sooner you start passing things along year by year, the better you are off. And, and, and that's what my dad realized at, at, a, at a young age in, in his career. I, I give him all the props in the world to recognize that. I've, I've, we've got a lot of companies in our industry that obviously have been passing from generation to generation and, and they fall five, six years behind every time when they start late in this process. Mm-hmm. So it that is something that is extremely vital that I have to emphasize that you can never start early enough. And not only that, make sure you, you, you team up with the right team and the right advisors to do this so that you can minimize your exposure to 
Uncle Sam. It's not that I'm not opposed to paying taxes, so but what you're saying, it's a business killer. I'm, I'm so glad you said that, Aaron, because the, the next question I was going to, if had you not touched on it, is what would be the one thing that you could tell our listeners, our peers, that they should do to get started? And you, you shared that is find that tax advisor, find that CPA, find that attorney that, that you have a relationship with that you can trust because it's a long-term process to get this done and, and just get started. This podcast exists to improve the manufacturing industry. We want to hear from you, the owners, managers, leaders, and engineers from the metalworking nation. What ideas do you want to share and what keeps you up at night? We want you to take something away from this podcast that you can use to improve your company, your team, and yourself. So let us know what you want to hear, and we'll see you next time on Making Chips. And for um, all the single ladies out there, you know, Aaron's also a single guy. (laughs) We can edit that. Yeah, he is. No, I love it. I love that. I love that you said that. I do. It, 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 it works too little... damn much. <laughs>